and welcome to How Have You Not Seen That? My name is Crossman. I'm Charles. I'm Wilson. And this is a podcast about telling the truth. I have found myself in situations where people have asked me, have you seen X film? And I've said yes to appear cultured or more intelligent. In fact, I've not seen that film. Uh, so we, every week, have admitted films that we haven't seen. And this week was Wilson's turn. And Wilson, you chose the movie Paris, Texas from 1984. Correct. You want to... Give us a rundown of Paris, Texas. Yes. Uh, so Paris, Texas, like you said, was uh, made in 1984, directed by Wim Wenders, a German director. It takes place in, for the most part, in Texas. It opens with Harry Dean Stanton in an unconventional leading role, probably a supporting character actor, uh, wandering out of the Texas desert in a dirty-looking suit and red hat. Uh, he collapses in a nearby bar. He refuses to talk to anybody when he is rescued by a doctor. Eventually his brother shows up and we learn that he has been missing for the past four years. He doesn't speak for about 30 minutes into the movie. He and his brother end up driving back to Los Angeles to meet Harry Dean Stanton's son, who his brother and wife had been raising before this point. Uh, we eventually learn that uh, Harry Dean Stanton has a wife or girlfriend back in Texas and he and his son travel back to Texas to track her down. And the movie concludes with Harry Dean Stanton and the, um, his former lover or wife um, having a confrontation or conversation at the very least. And then he wanders back into the desert to, I imagine, continue doing what he had been doing the prior four years. Plays out mostly like a road movie, but also kind of like an esoteric dreamlike road, road movie. And with certainly a lot of influence from conventional West John Ford type of westerns that Pim Vendors was very obsessed with for, for a lot of his career. The reason I picked this movie is that I, I'd seen uh, Wings of Desire, which is probably his, Wim Vendors' second most famous film, and his follow-up, I think it came out in 87, his follow-up to this one, which is about an angel that wanders around Berlin for a while, um, and it was eventually remade as City of Angels starring Nick Cage. <laughs> about an angel that wanders around LA for a while, um, but I want and that movie is weird and interesting. So I wanted to see his more famous movie, Paris, Texas, and I'd heard so many good things about it. So sometimes I pick movies because they, you know, loom large in the conventional popular canon, and I know that they're missing in my filmography. And sometimes I pick movies because I want to watch them. And this was that second type of movie. Um, so I really liked it. Like I enjoyed watching this movie. I'm glad that I finally sat down and 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 did watch it. Um, and I happily watch it again. Uh, what do you guys think? I don't think it's my kind of movie. That sounds but all right. <laughs> you're probably not very surprised by that. Um, no, I didn't feel like I was very drawn in by Harry Dean Stanton's character mm-hmm. or you know what his motivations were and like what his struggle was or anything like that. And so the big like emotional resolution at the end didn't really land for me because I wasn't drawn into what was going on in the first place. Yep, but it's not surprising. <laughs> uh, I'll be impressed with I liked it. It's not a fast movie. Two and a half hours long, and there's lots of stretches. Not a lot happens. happens. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's. I, I thought it was like touching, and it's it's beautifully shot, and I th- I think it's interesting. I think it's mystery kind of like unravels well. Yeah, and I think pays off well. But it feels like it's 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 a long watch for like a little payoff. Right, because yeah. it, this is not a narratively driven film. Right, like no. you're not here for the story of it, right? Like this is not about the plot, and it and like the movie itself kind of underlines that by 
the reveal about like why he wandered off for four years is like, oh, they had kind of a normal sounding domestic dispute and left. Right, like, and that that's kind of, it, it's a very ordinary type of answer to what happened here. And it, it feels like that what the movie is telling us is like, it's not about the events here, right? Like it's not about, you know, the things that happened to this guy. It's more about the mood that is struck here and like how this fits into our understanding of Americana and our understanding of like how people reach or fail to reach one another. And I think it operates on the level of mood and feeling and emotion much more than it operates on the level of event or even character in a sense. Um, and I found that effective and I found that, that Vim Vendors was well suited to that. I think that his, you know, love for, I think, America in general and the American West really comes through here. And his perspective as an outsider, it's a far as he's German and based in Germany, and most of his, a lot of his movies were in German. Uh, Stereotypically, Germans love Western stuff. Too. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, like, and it's this movie that kind of calls to mind the transatlantic preoccupation, right? Because, like, that doctor that he encounters at the beginning of the movie, German, yeah. the wife in LA, French. Right, like a lot of the, like uh, Claire Denis famously worked on this movie, French, what would go on to become a very famous French, French director. Harry Dean Stanton's partner, clearly European actor. Right, <laughs> right. Like her name is uh, Natasha, it's very difficult to pronounce because I'm not yeah. Russian. I mean, it's or called Paris, Texas. It's, and, and exactly, and to exactly that point, it's called Paris, Texas. Yeah, it's, it's uh, super European. It's about the West. It's mm -hmm. like a love story where not a lot happens. Like these are all like stereotypes of uh, European films, right? And, like like the, it really checks all the boxes. Uh, lots of like long shots of landscapes, things yeah. like that. The <laughs> the terror of you know urban life and the isolation of people within that that urban life. Lots very of driving here. Lots of driving, uh, which is again very much of inventor's thing. Yeah, and a uh, European thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it it to me like something I found really effective here is like it it almost has like this Tocqueville type of take where it's like this outsider commenting on America and a lot of times the outsider has a more incisive view than a, a native would. Mm -hmm. it, it felt pretty timeless when watching it but the one thing that really brings me to like 1984 mm -hmm. is how much his brother smokes. Yeah. Or it's uh, like, like a chimney. Yeah he's just like blowing like smoke rings in this like kid's face. Yeah like, or like in the car like yeah. <laughs> he just like smokes in the car yeah. nobody does that anymore. Oh, also they let the kid ride in the bed of the truck. I was like, ooh, that, that's dangerous. Yeah, that's very time. Yeah. Uh, specific to the era. Yeah. Yeah. But um, other than that, like, it does feel almost outside of time. Yeah, well, they seem to be purposely using, like, <laughs> older cars, and they, you know, it's not a movie that interacts with technology much. No, so there's no, the like, signs of tech, other than, like, they have, like, a radio or something at some point. But yeah. And, yeah. it, and you get the sense that, the, that Travis is the Harry Dean Stanton character, that the Travis character is really very preoccupied with the past. And I think that you see him replicating the behavior of old Westerns or how we understand old Westerns, right? Like the strong silent type that wanders off into the, the wilderness to like find adventures or whatever, right? He exchanges his new boots for old boots, right, when they're in L.A. Like the, when he engages most with the family or when he starts to is when he's watching videos of the past, things like that, right? He, he returns to where he came from in order to discover more about where he was. And I think that you see this kind of critique of 
America in a, in a place that is, in so far as America is a place that's preoccupied with the past and also a critique of Westerns as very history-oriented, past-oriented types of movies in a, in, in a genre in that sense, but also that that's unattainable. And I think you see that in this, them like kind of recontextualizing some Western motifs where like what you would normally see as the saloon romantically photographed against the Western sky is now a gas station. Right, like there's a shot of a guy with a trucker hat that says Stetson on it. Right, you have all these shots of like frames within frames, so like windows with a mirror in it. You'll see sometimes, where to me, which suggests like an isolation from one another. Right, like pictures within mm -hmm. pictures, and that's kind of what this movie is. Right, like it's a picture of a picture. Right, like we're we're looking at the picture of the Western that Americans took. And then we're looking at the picture of that picture that the Europeans are taking. And that's what Paratex of Beehoves is, this picture of a picture. And I, I found that really interesting. One like Western reference that I found the most frustrating about this film was when he just kind of leaves at the end. It, uh, which again, very typical of West of the genre. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where he's like, because of the crime that he's like committed in the past, which we kind of understand just to be like domestic abuse i guess yeah yeah um to him or to the character it it's like a unfixable crime uh -huh. such that he must like be relegated to the wilderness right and, seemed really unsatisfying. yeah <laughs> it's and, like why is he trying to bring his son and former lover back together if he's not gonna try to like stick around and fix things i guess like, yeah so like the impression I got was he's trying to, like, make amends for prior mistakes, right? Yeah. But he seems to be just making the situation worse. Um, because, like, you know, he, he left the boy to fend for himself, essentially. And thankfully, he had a brother um, who could take care of the son, right? But when he returns to L.A., it looks like the son is doing pretty well for himself. And he's found you know a family that loves him and they seem they very clearly like love him and want to take care of him and the the french wife is very distraught when she suspects that you know he might try to take the son away and she from was him. right yeah and, <laughs> and then they did right and so he basically takes the son away from you know his new loving family back into this old situation that didn't work out to try to fix his mistake and then walks out of it again so that just yeah. seemed kind of frustrating yeah I, I agree that that's the narratively the least satisfying part of this movie and kind of the mo most per perplexing because um, this guy doesn't really grow. I mean, he grows in the sense that he starts out the movie not talking, he talks for a while and then he goes back to not talking. Sure. And like, like, sort of like admitting what he did wrong does seem like a moment of... Yeah, that's fair. ...of growth. But yeah, it almost seems like burdensome to the wife or mother character because mm -hmm. it's like, hey, here's your kid back in your life. Things don't seem to be going like great for her. No, she was working at like a weird strip club. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what that was. Um, yeah, right. I mean, if the implication is clear that it's some sort of brothel or strip club. Yeah. But it was a weird one. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a peep show, right? It's right. Like, but it's yeah. like a peep show that's all based so much on conversation, and you have this. Yeah, it's weird. It, yeah, you have this like you can see them, but they can't see you dynamic, which yeah. is you know also weird. Um, did anybody see? Um, Ah, oh, shit. What's the, the movie that came out last year with the guy that did uh, uh, Cabin in the Woods? Why am I spacing out on the name of it? The Raimi? Sam Raimi? No. Oh. Uh, the guy that wrote it. Uh, 
never mind. But it, but it has a similar okay. dynamic where like there's the the one way mirror in like a series of rooms and like people are watching what's going on in this. Oh, uh, bad times of yes. the El Royale. Bad times of the El Royale. Oh. I watched half of that on a plane and I've been meaning to finish it. <laughs> it's wild. I really liked it. Yeah, um, and it has that uh, that same beat. There's a moment in that film that I got to and I did not expect. There are uh, many moments that and, I didn't expect in that film. Um, um, so but, I do need to finish that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Watch it on a real screen. Like it's it's good. Um, yeah, I was into it, but the plane was like landing, so I was like, "All right, I guess I'll <laughs> yeah, never come back this. to this." Yeah. You start a movie without enough time to finish. It? <laughs> yeah, what a madman! <laughs> I mean, you know, the, that like hour twenty mark of a flight is, you know, <laughs> a challenging moment. Right, uh, but so you, you, if you were an hour twenty, and you would have gotten to the moment then where there is that same dynamic. Yeah, you yeah. Have them looking in one-way mirrors into a into a hotel, and like that's always. Very fraught, I think. Like, there's a lot of ways you can go with that symbolism. A lot, of, like, it, I think in that movie, it stands in mostly for like the experience of watching film. Fine, yeah. Um, but I think it's kind of doing something else here. Um, and I, I, I found it. I found that last scene with uh, with Harry Dean Stanton and what's Julie. Julia, I forget the yeah. wife's name. She's in it for such a short amount of time. That right, it's like but hard to, but her her that, performance is great. Her performance yeah. is great, and that yeah. monologue that she has at the end. Is great and like really yeah. touching when she says like every man has your voice like that's a really a moving moment and I think that that Sam Shepard who wrote that kind of at the last minute like deserves a lot of credit for for bringing that home yeah they they let that scene develop like really well yes and really slow uh, it's like slow so <clears throat> slow and then both characters sort of realize what's happening yeah and, I mean the, yeah. the double the the one-way mirror thing really serves to like highlight the divide between them yeah very yeah. obviously and that yeah. gets broken down as they talk more and um they turn off the light on her side so mm-hmm. that they can see each other better and there's so like the it, like vendors uses that space so well right because he has that shot where he superimposes harry dean stanton's face over her face there's yeah. that other shot where like she ends up crouching down in front of the mirror so they're both facing the same way but the camera can like get both of them in the shot it was interesting to see the shots evolve because (laughs) yes over the course of the two times that he's in that area Uh you know there's very few specific shots but then that changes over time as the conversation evolves right and you start seeing them in the frame at the same time yeah as they come to realize who they are to each other and like what has changed over time like they literally become closer yeah another thing the cinema yeah uh, another thing I noticed is that on on her side, um, they always have these like fake like Americana setups sure. that are all like you know super idealized looking. It's like a diner or like someone's house or something like yeah. that, right? Yeah. Um, and so a, a common theme throughout this movie is um, Stanton's character kind of longing for the idealized family life that he always wanted, right? So he, right. he's always longing for that that um, patch of land that he bought in Paris, Texas. He wanted mm-hmm. to like, you know, get a house there and raise a family. Um, and he was never able to do that because of their like domestic conflict, right? right. That's what's revealed to be the problem. Um, so when he sees her, he, he, he sees all his like desires for that kind of idealized American life again. Um, but as they talk, you know, he re- it, that kind of fantasy starts to go away. They turn off the light there, and they can actually talk to each other instead of him talking to like his fantasy. Right, which is that the whole setup of that weird script club, right? It's all yeah. about the the artifice of it, and I think that strikes at really kind of the heart of the movie. So I, I think that's a very like even even the title of it, Paris, Texas, 
right? And the joke that the the father would tell about, oh, my wife is from Paris, Texas, right? <laughs> like th this idea that we're getting an approximation of something much better, right? Like Paris, Texas is way worse than Paris, France, <laughs> right? Like that's, it's not the same thing. And you see the only time they actually get there is in the form of that shitty picture that he has of the shitty plot of land that he that he bought just just like a sign on it, right? Yeah, they never it, actually visited. They never get to Paris, Texas, right? Like that they, that is not a location in this movie. They kind of like do a fake out. Yeah, because so. it looks like they're heading there. It's like, oh, it's just right up here. Yeah, no, we're going to Los Angeles, yeah. <laughs> and like that never happens. Even yeah. like when they get to Los Angeles, you don't see Los Angeles, right? Yeah, he's in Burbank. Yeah, it's like outside <laughs> of Los Angeles, and we don't like get any yeah. of the like iconic stuff in LA. Right, and you get to Houston, and like the streets are kind of empty, and like everything feels really confined. Yeah, and all the stuff, all the Western stuff, like it's there, but not quite the same. And this guy is the lead in a Western, insofar as Paris, Texas is a Western film, but he isn't, you know, Clint Eastwood, right? Like he's not John Wayne, he's not Shane, right? Like when he wanders off, it doesn't feel like he's making some heroic choice. It feels like he's just kind of wandering around, and. It, so I think that the, one of the points of this movie, or one of the, the, the driving themes here, is this idea of, of, of approximations. This idea of something being just a little bit different, just a little bit off of the true thing, of the real thing. And insofar as, you know, it's not quite a Western, America isn't quite Europe, right? Like <laughs> these things that are just a little bit not correct. Um, and I think that that last scene where you have this approximation of, a, of domesticity and this approximation of a wife strikes at that, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I'm still <coughs> going back to the ending, like just not, so, like I feel, I find myself like making up a story for them to like, yeah, which like is, what happens, like. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I, and again, here we have an approximation of a satisfying ending. Yeah, it right? seems like. It's it's important that I, I guess the kid gets back together with his mom, but I could only imagine that the kid just goes back to LA and where he'd probably like, be happier and he has a life. Yeah, right? and like, what's good is like maybe he has a better relationship with his mother now, but the it's very unsatisfying finish. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree. Like the last thing that we get from the Dean Stockton character and uh, yeah. and the wife is them like pleading with the kid to come home. And he's like, nope, I gotta go to Houston. And he hangs up the phone. And they don't appear in the movie again. Yeah, they're just. That's, that's they're, it. That's their last fall, scene. All out of the movie. That's like an hour and a half in, and they're like, done. And like, we had been following this guy and this family like pretty closely up until then. Um, so, like, this movie kind of has a sense where it's like three movies, right? Like, the act breaks here are like very stark and like where one part of the story begins and the next one ends. Like, very, very clear. Right, it's because you have this road movie part with him and the brother at the beginning. You have like the L.A. section and the domestic part of the movie. And then you have the other road trip part where they go to Houston. And like those sections interact with each other in very minimal ways. It yeah. feels like they're, they're pretty starkly divided. Like this is, this is a three-act movie <laughs> in, in pretty, pretty clearly. Yeah. Um, the beginning act uh -huh. is... I think the most different of the, best the other two. It's the best one. Because its mystery is really interesting where it's just a guy wandering out of the desert mm -hmm. and it's set up really well. Just like he just collapses in a bar and 
Yeah. It's like, well, why is that guy in the desert? Like, why? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure if I was in for like a memento sort of experience. Yeah. Right. It, 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 then this movie makes so many unexpected turns. Or right? like maybe it is an action movie. Right. Like, Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. yeah maybe this, someone's trying to kill him. Maybe he escaped from yeah. some attempt on his life. Or yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Who knows? The, um, that location that they had at the beginning, they scouted it like very shortly before filming began. Apparently it's called Devil's Graveyard. Yep. Um, and the reason it's called Devil's Graveyard is because so many people crossing the border die there because there's like no water and they yeah. just die of thirst. Well, the implication is that he's like near a, death. a coyote or, or something. That right, like he has that bottle of water. And yeah, he's crossing back from Mexico to, right. to the U.S. Yeah. Uh, which which is interesting and something that they don't like touch on, but it's nice. Like it opens up the character well, where he's like, is, is there some inkling as to what he's been doing? Yeah, for he's like actually an outlaw, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> they did briefly mention that he'd gone to Mexico, right? He does like late, much later in the movie. Like I think when he's talking to uh, the mother, yes, yeah, where he, he uh, mentions that he like sort of disappears in Mexico. Yeah, and they, and that seems to they seem to imply that that's what he goes back to doing. That which. He, and it adds to, like, his outlaw nature, right? Because, uh-huh. like, when you do a crime, like, where do you go? You go to Mexico. Yeah, Mexico. Too, you know? <laughs> but it's such a, such a Western trope, right? Yeah. But he, he's not going to, to Mexico to rob banks, right? Like, he's going to Mexico to facilitate, you know, people crossing the border. Like, that is, again, something that's similar to the classic concept of what happens in, the, in a Western, but not exactly. And, like, different enough that it feels weird, um, which I think is a lot of what's going on in this movie. Um, what do we think of the soundtrack? Like, there, there was a lot of Ooh. praise for the soundtrack in this movie, and I love soundtrack it. soundtrack is really good. It's yeah. like a, mostly like a, well, I don't know <coughs> the instrumentation me. well, but I want to say like it's a like a, guitar. I was going to say that, but I, yeah. I didn't know for sure. And it's, it's awesome. Yeah, it's, I, I really, really liked it. Um, it feels, it, it's easy to call a Western, like, Marconi influence, but it, oh, it yeah. certainly was here. Um, just like the, I don't want to say sparse instrumentation, because, like, it was a complex arrangement what they sure. were doing but it comes across as very pure and simple and to the point and it levels the movie out too yeah. where it's like it's the sort of consistent thing across the movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and strikes the right kind of tone where it's not it doesn't just sound like a john ford movie yeah but it also definitely sounds western well it sounds like it's a part of the scene like it's diegetic or something yeah um, yeah where like yeah, you could imagine, like, just off camera, there's a guy, like, with this skill. Yeah, especially yeah. when they're in just the later when he's with his son in, in the town where he, like, gets drunk and, like, they go to the laundromat. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it seems natural for that city yeah, for or that town. Movie. Yeah. Well, and especially in a movie that's so preoccupied with feeling and mood and, like, expression i guess right again rather than something concrete like i think it really added to that as well that it, that it doesn't necessarily even feel like it's playing songs right that's just like making melodies for a little while and then like going on to the next thing and i think that is kind of like the feel of this movie for me as well it's just we're not necessarily seeing a story here we're seeing like some events and like what happens to this guy over a period mm-hmm. and like that meshed well with the, the sound of the movie. Yeah. Title line for you. I admittedly don't remember what it oh, sounded that's like. That's too bad. You will if you, you pull it up yeah. on YouTube. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of... It's just like four notes on, like, a steel guitar. Yeah, like, there's other things going on, but that's definitely the lead instrument a lot of the yeah. time. 
Um, sounds like some uh, like a Cowboy Bebop soundtrack or something. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, for sure. They do some of that. Um, I had never heard of this film. Oh, really? Watching. Me neither. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I definitely even, have. Not it, even it, it's I don't think of, I'd heard of Vin Benders either. No, well, he's well known. I'd King the, of the Road, he did that too. No idea what I was going into. Okay, yeah, no, they, like this one, I it had been on my radar for a long time, and I just hadn't gotten to it. Um, which is, I I think, good because like it built the mystery well. Yeah, because it's such a mysterious film in the first place. Yeah, yeah, uh, but it, yeah, in in my mind, this is like a famous, well-known movie. Um, so it won the top prize of Cannes that year in '84. It was a unanimous winner, which is unconventional on the. Uh, the board that year were both um, Alyssa, or Isabel Huppert and Ennio Marconi. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, the, there were some big names involved that voted for this movie. Um, it was apparently a pretty big hit in Europe, like, where like people liked it there more than here. Not surprised. So much so that the final speech that Harry Dean Stanton delivers at the Weird Brothel was printed in full on T-shirts and sold to people. Like the whole thing, like, and Jeez. it's not a short monologue. Yeah, that's a lot of text. <laughs> like the part where he begins with like, "There's so there were two people," like yeah. that. The whole thing was just like on t-shirts that people <laughs> sold and bought. Um, so it, it, this movie, to me, I think, does kind of loom relatively large, at least in the international film context. And it, it's inter- interesting as an international film in that it's so specifically about America um, and so specifically about. European perspectives on America, and that we we have so many uh, Europeans in the movie and involved with the production of the of the movie as well, um, and th- that I find interesting. Like, and th- that you have this team of, of Vim Vendors as as the director teaming with Sam Shepard, right? Like a very classic yeah. American screenwriter and playwright, right? Like perhaps the one of the most American. Uh, screenwriters that we had in that era, um, and that kind of culture, the, the cultural exchange in in this film, um, was effective for me, and I think that mm-hmm. it, for a lot of people, because it, it is like pretty pretty well known and well regarded. Have you ever seen Repo Man? No, I'm aware of it, but no, I haven't seen it. Harry Dean Sands in it, and it's from 1984 as well. Busy man. Same year. Um, it's him and Emilio Estevez. I it's a kooky movie. Um, I think of it as like a like a 80s punk movie okay um but there's a lot of like western elements to it and the uh um reference by tarantino for sure like the the briefcase element of of pulp fiction is Mm -hmm. for sure comes from uh from rebo man Man. but if if you like this film you'd like rebo man okay it's like another like Weird '80s movie starring Harry, <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton. Wasn't that's that also recently like, remade? I feel like there was like a Repo Man movie recently. No, so there's Repo Men, I believe, which uh, <laughs> I think had Paris Hilton okay. in it. Um, and Very different movie. <laughs> was about a uh, sort of like failed future state where people have like repaired organs, but you get them on layaway. Yeah. And the job of Repo Man is to like return the organs if you can't pay. Yeah. That's um, not so this very no, Re- okay. uh, Repo Man is about um, uh, these uh, Emilio Estevez gets a job as a, a Repo Man where they right. go and take cars back and <clears throat> one of the cars that they take back when you open the trunk there's a glowing green light that comes out oh. of it <laughs> and sort of like events uh, around that. Okay. Um, Things arise. 
But really, it's just a movie about the weird stuff in the eighties. You know. <laughs> See, the movie I was reminded of when watching Paris, Texas, was Lucky, which came out just a couple years ago. Also starring Harry Dean Stanton. Also about a guy in the you know American West. It was set in modern times, so in two thousand. 17 or whatever it was when this movie came out. It was the last thing he did before he died. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just about an old man living in this town who kind of like is stuck in his ways and like has trouble meeting people and about like the wacko characters in this town. Or, like David Lynch is in it as an actor. <laughs> he didn't direct it, he was just in it. And like his. Is David Lynch ever an actor? <laughs> or is he ever not an actor? I don't yeah. know. Um, but, like <laughs> all of his. his the, like his uh, arc in that movie is that he has a pet tortoise that ran away and he's like very upset about his missing tortoise <laughs> and it comes back in the end. He's very thrilled. <laughs> like, wow, lucky guy. And he just like gives multiple monologues about his missing tortoise and how great this tortoise is. Is that just the sequel of this movie? It, it feels very similar. Yes, it feels like it was directly inspired by uh, this movie. So if you did like Paris, Texas, check out Lucky. It's great. It's funnier. Uh-huh. <laughs> and... Uh, it, it, it was very good. Um, what do we think about the, the the look of this film? Like, it has a pretty specific. That was definitely you know, my favorite part of this movie. movie. Yeah, like, and, and I think that that is a favorite part because I think it's probably one of the more important parts of this movie. Just like the way that it is presented to us. Very well um, shot. Yeah, um, sort of again very European shows the kind of like emptiness of America. Like all the shots are really wide and. Things are like spread out. Yeah, we uh, we would see widespread out shots like that in American westerns as well, right? But they were always of the desert and of landscapes. Yeah, right. And and like there's a there's a John Ford uh, doorway shot in this movie, right? So like they're lifting stuff from American photography, but they're shooting the cities in the same way. And I think that that's kind of even the house they his like brother's house, like everything feels really like. Spread out in the house. Why? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, the LA suburbs are quite spread out. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but like, and you'll see this. Like, Houston is photographed in such a way that it's a lot of like straight lines, right, mm-hmm. and a lot of emptiness, and like somehow they. It seems like they just cleared the streets of any pedestrians before they yeah. shot this because there's no. So a lot many. of like Western downtowns are like this. Like, I'm, I remember going to Phoenix on like a Friday night and just yeah. like. You, you could have just like ran down the street and like <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. thrown a football and like you wouldn't not hit, hit anybody. Yeah, you'd be fine. Yeah, like so there's not, you, no cars and no people at all. Friday night downtown Phoenix was totally empty. I, yeah. I don't know if something was going on, but maybe we're just no. There was and there was a basketball game that night, and okay. still well, it was just so, like so literally everybody was in the basketball game. No, like no one was there. Okay. <laughs> like it was yeah. like it was it, a Suns game. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I remember thinking it was like a an apocalypse movie because it was like so you could film the beginning of 28 days later there right yeah right uh, I, and i don't i feel like i've been to other west like uh, la is actually a good example of this where you go to downtown la nice. um, now it's been built up quite a bit but even eight years ago or, or so you go to downtown la it would just be like tumbleweeds like rolling around <laughs> so yeah. well and again that is typical of of western cinema Right, like yeah. literally, that's where the tumbleweed trope comes from, and like you have these big empty spaces and like a guy or two guys in in that, right? Yeah. It's like the, this domination of, or this this notion of like space and nature dominating man, right? Or like a man having to penetrate into this open, you know, void of 
you know, sky and desert. Yeah, or just that, like, the progress, quote-unquote, it hasn't really, like, added up to much. It's just kind of, mm-hmm. like, a lot of paved things, and, like, it doesn't, it seems, like, very wistful and sad. Yeah. Not only, worse than that, like, it hasn't yeah. just not added up to much. It's, act, it, it's actually affirmatively removed us from one another. Yeah. And I think that that's, again, in the film as well, like, you have all these portions of the film where people are literally divided from one another yeah right like you have on opposite sides of, of a mirror for instance like that you have uh, that shot of harry dean stanton and his son on, walking home on opposite sides of the street right it just all of the you have harry dean stanton in the driving the truck his son in the bed of the truck while they communicate over technology yeah right the, the, there's so many moments in this film where people are physically separated but still trying to communicate with one another and it seems to be suggesting that it is the buildup of the West that has precipitated that, that has mm-hmm. that has caused that. Um, and it's it's a sad thing. And I, and yeah, I and think it's one of the themes here in relation to like the Western genre. Like, if if this is why the West is conquered, like, why? What are we doing? Yeah, what, know, what's this for? Yeah, the amount of blood and treasure that was spent and spilled to do this is like. What, what a waste, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and that may be the conclusion that Travis in this movie arrives at, right? Like, why does he wander off? It's like, well, maybe he just kind of decided, like, this is all nothing. Like, this doesn't add up to much. Yeah, and he doesn't seem to be convinced that it's worth staying, sticking around for right. either at, by right. the end of the film. So, yeah, after mean? being offered, like, opportunities and money from his brother and yep. the chance to reconnect with <clears throat> his family and doesn't seem enticed by it right he's unpersuaded and he he would prefer to wander around the desert that that seems to be the conclusion there um and yeah i think a lot of that does have to do with just modernization right Mm -hmm. like that uh, this post-war boom didn't bring us much yeah civil war in this case yeah um good good child actor (laughs) role yeah uh kids like yeah like really convincing and Mm -hmm. plays the role really well and seems projects like the correct emotions it, which, it, yeah. <laughs> he's not precocious right like he doesn't come across as like particularly bright he's just like a kid doing things that kids do he's, the movie doesn't need him to be like clever or funny yeah, or anything. ironically it's like hard to get a kid to seem <coughs> natural when they're acting right and so it's a big accomplishment that they were able to do that he just seems like a normal kid yeah well and it speaks to good directing I think. yeah right because like the kid will just do the thing you tell him to do and with, I imagine that Vin Fenders did that. I was pretty jealous of his uh, Star Wars sheets. Not gonna yeah, lie. Yeah, some, there's a lot of Star Wars. Yeah, there, there's some dope Star Wars stuff. Yeah, and he had the, like a Boba Fett figurine and I don't know, like a stormtrooper or something. Yeah, yeah, I, I, he did have some pretty dope Star Wars sheets. Yeah, very 80s. Very, very 80s. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. He's he the, the kid comes across as very plausible, very realistic. Uh, plays across, plays against Harry Dean Stanton really well. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if he's done much else after this. That that actor, I, I think I looked him up at the time and I didn't see much. But uh, you'll see that sometimes with these these young actors where they just do like one movie and like, <laughs> they, it doesn't take or whatever. Yeah, I mean the people that work for their lives often end up being uh, weirdos. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Although I wonder how many kid actors like that that do pull away from the industry do that because of that, right? Like they're not going to know that. Well, know, what's her face that played Matilda? She seems like pretty. Mara Wilson. 
pretty level-headed. It, right. right. Yeah, um, of course there are people that worked out, but not all. Yeah. And apparently she gets annoyed when people just throw Matilda references at her. And I don't blame her. Yeah. Yeah. Is that your whole life? I mean, just like a, yeah. Oh, great I, on you. I would, I would get annoyed by that also. A thing you did. and it, when, yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah. More than that. Yeah. Uh, it looks like the kid was in something in 2011. Okay. But hasn't done anything since then. Well, by then he's... Forty, and it looks like he's in mostly bad horror films at the end of his career. So, all right, well, pays the bills. There's a movie called Crushed, a movie called The Locker. Both of books look like bad horror films. Okay, well, nonetheless, they pay. Yeah, so it, it also looks like he took a break from 1988 to 2000. So, <laughs> go to school probably. Good for him. Yeah, I bet he got a degree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of the actors here, what do we think of Harry Dean Stanton? He's usually not in leading roles. Uh, I think most people probably associate him with Alien. Um, mm-hmm. how, how do you feel for you here? For me, he seemed a bit too plain, I guess. Like, he spent most of the movie with this kind of bewildered look on his face. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's part of the point, but I just was kind of bored by it. Okay. Um, I liked Dean Stockwell's acting, because yeah. that's like a tough role where you're acting against somebody that's not talking talking yeah and that yeah that's impressive there's a reason he got a lot of work like he was yeah a working actor and like you got to be good to do that he was really good here i think what i like about because i do i do like harry dean stanton in this movie quite a bit i think what i like about him is that he i think what you might have read as boring or flat i read as like he has this innocence to him, mm-hmm. right? And I, I like it because he's 45 when he makes this movie. Like, he's, he's not a young man at all. But there is some purity to his performance, right? Like, I, to me, I think it would have been really easy for, you know, this guy to wander away from his family yeah. to come across as really cold or unfeeling. And, like, even for the, these first 30 minutes where he's not speaking, you get this sense of, like, it, purity to, almost to the point of warmth coming from him. And I, I, that read really clearly to me. And I think that if if that wasn't here in this movie, it like really wouldn't have functioned. I think that if, if we are turning against this character at any point, like this movie stops working, period. And I, I don't I think, think it was until the very end that I'm like, hey, but like, <laughs> right. <laughs> no, right. Like up until then, I'm kind of like with them. Yeah, right, exactly. And, and I think that's, that is pretty true to most people's experience. And he seems like, an okay dad like yeah when he decides to be yeah (laughs) and so his decision to stop is sad yeah yeah yeah, it is and it's kind of a sad movie like there's a melancholy to it and i think that there's just like a melancholy to harry dean stanton's face (laughs) right like you just look at him and he just seems a little glum a lot of the time yeah um even if he is just also you know pure and innocent and decent uh there's still this sense of like somebody who's who's missing something or has, has lost something, and I think that's critical to the character here. I'm like yeah. critical to what this this the the tone this film is striking. And he acts well the against a kid too, yeah. which is yeah. again not always easy to do. Kids yeah. and animals, right? A lot of actors like don't have the patience for stuff like that. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Let's just say he seemed it's it's a, such a patient role. Like there's so much time where he's just sitting there, standing there. And like right. kind of having like normal kid conversations, <laughs> yeah. Because like you want to know about space, and like he's like, yeah, like, let's do it. Let's let's, let's, let's talk about, about space. it. <laughs> yeah, and he, he like delivers the weird lines really well. Like there's that one where um, 
he that he asked if you have two dads. And it's like, oh, how do you have two dads? It's like, oh, I'm just lucky, I guess. <laughs> that's funny, and that's good, and it's weird. Yeah. And it like, fits into like the, what this movie is doing. Yeah. Right? Because like, I, I like that they find these weird moments. Like when they're outside the that hotel, like right after they left Los Angeles, and you have that shot of like the, the Mary Dean Stanton and the kid standing next to each other, and like a giant ceramic dinosaur. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, those are fam- <laughs> famous. Uh, Dinosaurs, right? Play, play but, Fallout in Vegas again, and they're yeah. they're in a lot of uh, road movies too. Right. Well, here they are again, and it just felt like so striking in yeah. this movie. Like they're now owned by like some Christian fundamentalist. Oh no! Uh, Do they use them in like uh, like creationist yeah. parks and shit? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I think it's been turned into like a creationist park. That's hilarious. Yeah. They, they probably wouldn't let them film that many movies there anymore. Yeah. yeah. I would love to go see them because I'm so aware of. Those statues, I, yeah. I feel like they'd be just like a kooky thing. To go but, yeah, they must be just somewhere in Southern California. Yeah, it's somewhere outside of Bakersfield, and I think, and in, in the desert. So, yeah, that seems yeah. like a very American phenomenon, right? Like yeah. a tiny town with this weird big thing that they have. You just like drive through and look at it because it's a curiosity, it, right? Yeah, and, and that's just that, like it, it is American, right? Like yeah. the, here's the world's biggest ball of twine or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. sure, let's go see that. Perfect road trip distraction, yeah. the, the, and, and and that it's. It, it, it so often is the world's largest X yeah. or the most whatever, right? Yeah. Like, again, a very American instinct, the bigness of it. And there's the a, same thing. There's an old LucasArts video game called Sam and Max Hit the Road. Oh, yeah. They, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's one of those point-and-click <laughs> adventures, and they <laughs> go to, like, all these, like, stupid American things. <laughs> and you just, you're, you're, they're detectives, and they solve, they're solving, like, some dumb mystery. Yeah. And... Yeah, but what's what's kind of charming about the game is that they like go through these like very poorly rendered versions of like <laughs> Americana or like not poorly but um, uh, exaggerated, ex- exaggerated and drawn in interesting ways. Like yeah. lots of references to like kitsch and stuff like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So it, and I, it, I think this movie has a few instances of stuff like that, like the big dinosaur, like. You know these shots of like rundown bars and things like that, but it all feels so affectionate, right? Like I, I think it would be like Vin Vendors could come across as like a boiler in this sense, like he's just like, look at these crazy Americans, look at all the dumb stuff they care about. But it's not that, right? Like there's a lot of affection here. Like it's fascination, but it's also caring, right? And I think that it, this movie to me reads as something that is. It, it, it really and truly interested in its subject and really truly caring about its subject. Um, and that that's a good thing. And I think it, it, that kind of warmth from a film is is valuable and, and, and rare. So I was glad that we got it here. So the, the dinosaurs are mm. in uh, Cabazon, California, Where is which that? is not a real city. Uh, um, it's not a real city? Well, it's not like a... You know, place where you go, like the oh, down, okay. downtown Cabazon. I thought you meant like it was fictional or something. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> it's between Palm Springs and Riverside, which is just like middle of nowhere. Just out in the desert, between the, you know, there's a bunch of very large national parks that it's near. Yeah. Okay, ceramic dinosaur national park. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, how far is that from Los Angeles? Um, Riverside's like a couple hours, so maybe three hours. Okay, so it's a bit of a hike. Four. Yeah, depending on traffic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Three or four hours, yeah. To see the dinosaurs. And they're still there. Yeah. Okay, um, so they built the creationist 
museum or whatever around them? Uh, if you give me a second, I can find out. Okay. <laughs> that was, <that's, laughs> I guess they'd probably be pretty hard to move, right? Like they're, yeah. They're giant. You, you got to come to them. Giants. <laughs> you got to come to them. They're the giants wearing like dinosaurs. They can't move anymore. And they've probably been there forever. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean they have they have been there for a long time because I remember they you know they're in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and I feel like they were also in the Wiz, which okay. was, which was also like a road movie. Yeah, well, I mean this movie's thirty five years old. Like that was a while ago. Okay, so um, there's a guy that like originally owned them died in nineteen eighty eight at age ninety one. His family sold the property in the mid nineties. Since then, the Cabazon dinosaurs. Um, has been the site of a roadside creationist museum and gift shop. <laughs> so it's been they've been at it for a while. Okay, so so at the time yeah. this was filmed, the original owners still owned them, the dinosaurs. Yes. Yeah. Huh. So I wonder if that's uh, if vendors might be, um, might have been one of the first first to really stake this out. Yeah, the Cabazon Partnership of Costa Mesa, California became the new owners of the roadside attraction. The partnership obtained approval for an expansion of the Cabazon Dinosaur site in 1996. <laughs> um, currently located inside Dinny are a gift store. Dinny must be one of the dinosaurs. <laughs> um, a gift store and museum promoting creationism with some of the toy dinosaurs in the shop sold under the label Don't Swallow It. <laughs> the fossil record does not support evolution. <laughs> well then, no. How about wow. how about all that? Yeah. In stark contrast to that belief, are Bell's painted frescoes and sculptures inside Denny depicting a naturalist and evolutionary viewpoint? Well, right. Again, how American, right? Like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Feels quite appropriate here. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the dinosaurs are seen in the background of a scene in the in the 1984 film Parasexes. Here we are. Bring it home. 85 in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Everyone wants to rule the world. The Tears for Fears music video. Okay. The world of dinosaurs. 1989 movie The Wizard. There we are. The 1994 version of Oasis video for the song Supersonic. <laughs> All right. And Fallout New Vegas. New Vegas. Yeah, that's true. And a bunch of other stuff. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's a gift shop in that game too. That's true. You can buy little dinosaurs. That's all you gotta remember that. America is still America even after the nukes fall. Mm -hmm. If anything, it's more American. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you both said that you didn't hadn't heard of this movie and didn't know anything about it. Yeah. Before coming in, what do you think it was? Like, what was your expectation? I mean, I read the summary, so I vaguely <laughs> had an idea of like something about a, like a past relationship and a son and stuff like that. Okay. So do you think it would be like a romance? Um, maybe. Okay. I, I didn't really know what to expect beyond that, but I knew it wasn't going to be like an action movie. <laughs> or like That's a, true. Very little like action. a thriller or anything like that. Yeah. I, I went in totally cold. Really? Not yeah. even like, what's the summary of this and all that? No. That's kind of a fun way to watch a movie. Like, we have so few opportunities to do that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Because even if you like just fire up a random movie on Netflix, it'll have like the category or the little summary or whatever. Yeah. I and could it, speculate, but just It would be useless. Okay, so cold. Just ice cold. Okay, that's cool. Good for yeah, you. it was good. Yeah, I'm glad that. I probably would not have watched it if I knew the summary. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lesson in there, isn't yeah. there? Right. Well, don't yeah. always trust the summaries. Um, do we have any closing thoughts on, on Paris, Texas? Anything? I, I wanted to comment on the use of color in this movie. Oh, now, yeah. I don't know. I, I couldn't piece together like a greater message from it or anything like that, but I liked uh, how vivid the use of color was. Like, There's lots of reds and blues and greens throughout the movie. 
Uh, one thing that I thought was striking was how often they showed the desert covered in green. You you almost never see like the green parts of the desert in these Western yeah. movies, and so that made everything feel a little surreal. Uh, and other than that, there's just lots of very like bright and very obvious colors, you know, throughout the movie. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you pointed that out because I actually had some notes on that as well. Like that that, and and I don't think there is like a, you know, single unifying theme for all of them. I think it's just like here is an interesting way to use color here. Here's an interesting way to light this scene, things like that. I, yeah. I like that because it is just, again, about tone and mood and feeling more than it is about like a concretely articulated message. And I think that there's space for that. And I think that there's that, that that's okay to just create a visual space for the sake of the beauty of cinema. And that's it. Yeah. yeah, and I, like I think that. that that's what it feels like here to me. And I, it, it I also like produced a moment that I thought was almost incongruously hilarious to me when they're chasing after the mom mm -hmm. and they're trying to look for a red car, right? And there's only yeah. there's only one red car in all of Houston. Apparently, all the other cars are gray, right? And then like one of the traffic cars moves over, and there's two <laughs> there's red cars two red that are cars. identical there, and there's, it was just weirdly humorously shot. Yeah, and they have to like just guess which one to follow. Yeah, and they got lucky. And they got lucky. Yeah, that's all it is. Uh, another shot that really stood out to me was when they're in Texas and it's raining mm -hmm. uh, and it's like a raining sunset and that made the world look practically alien because it's got like that kind of overcast cloudy look but everything's like bathed in orange and then it's also like rain in Texas yeah and that was just beautiful and striking and surreal to me yeah yeah you're right to call it out and yeah I agree any last thoughts? Um, it's good. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a touching film. Uh, I found the end frustrating, but otherwise liked it. Yeah, I feel the same. I, yeah, yeah I, I, I enjoy it, and I'm glad that I finally sat down and watched it. Um, so, in any event, we'll be back in a moment with Things We've Seen. Stay tuned. Welcome back for Things We've Seen. Uh, this is a section where we've seen usually more contemporary movies in the theater or at home. Charles, what did you watch recently? Recently, I saw Us, and um, I went in wondering how scared I would be, because that's how I always feel with horror movies. I never watch horror movies. This really wasn't like that kind of movie, right? Um, but I also went in with a lot of hype behind the movie, and I feel like that maybe you know, raise my expectations a bit too much for it, so I left feeling a little disappointed. It's still in the, like, high or to mid-90s. Yeah. Yeah, but, Very like... Yeah. Right, and so I saw, like, the high reviews, and, like, a lot of my friends were raving about it, right? And I, I did see it, like, you know, a few months later after it came out, um, but I feel like I went in with very high expectations. And, like, I appreciate what it was doing. There's a lot of... Visually very striking. It has a very interesting way to tell its message. Uh, about like the mirrored people and about like a class struggle and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you know that was cool, right? And there's there's some nice writing, there's some nice humor in there, uh, things like that. Uh, I, one thing that I felt that I didn't like about the movie was it explaining like the nature of the tethered a bit too much, and I felt that that kind of undercut like the metaphor a bit. I would have preferred if they were just kind of like magical spirits from a mirror dimension or something like that. Um, but instead they try to go for a weird like government experiment angle. 
And I don't know, maybe I'm like putting too much weight on this, but it just felt weird that they explained it to that degree to the point where it doesn't seem to make sense, whereas it would have all worked if it were just kind of magical, right? And so it was weird to me that, you know, they went kind of halfway on there and like it, it didn't really land for me what they were trying to do with that. Um, but besides that, I appreciate, you know, the rest of the movie. Yeah. Did you see if you've seen us? No. No? Okay. Well, I guess that's a bit of a spoiler. I basically agree. No, I, someone else spoiled it for me. But. Okay. Yeah, I think you, I, I'm, I'm pretty much with you on this one. Like, I, I went into it because I saw it pretty much when it came out or, like, the weekend after it came out. And I went in with, like, the high expectations because their review was like, this is a, you know, revolutionary horror movie. And it's it following like, Get Out, so you expect a lot from it. I think that's it. Like, I think that's why I was disappointed mm-hmm. in it because I... It is a very, very well-made horror movie, right? Like, it, just like on that level, that, that cinematically, it's expertly made. It's, it's very, very good. If you're just mm-hmm. looking for like a horror, almost like a horror comedy, it was way funnier than I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, it works really well, but like compared to Get Out, like it's not close. It's not I close s- at all. I still need to see Get Out. Okay. I got to get around to it. Yeah, like I still it, need to see the it. clarity of the messaging, the the through line of the metaphor, like it's just not there. And yeah. it is there and get out. Like, I get what us is saying that it's like, I guess about class, but like, they don't bring in all of the various, you know, like symbols that they have in, the, in this yeah. movie. It's so it, weird that Americans have a hard time talking about class. It, right. Yeah. Exactly. Because <laughs> exactly. he introduces all these things that, like, the hands across America thing, right? Like, it, it's in the opening shot of the movie and it feels like it's going to be really significant and it doesn't really pay off. Yeah. Like, you have those two shots of the guy that's holding up the Jeremiah 11 11. Yeah. thing and like I looked up that verse afterwards and it's just like not anything right like it's just disconnected from the movie so like there's all this stuff that it kind of like brings to us and says like here's a crazy thing or here's like something that has like very clear weight to it and then like it doesn't connect to what's going on in the film um, and that I found to be a bummer yeah. that said Winston Duke should be in everything <laughs> he's great <laughs> I got that dude he was so good. It was so funny. He's the dad. Like, yeah. yeah. I love how dorky he was. was he's so such funny. a dad. Like, he's, he was in Baku in, in Black Panther. Um, and he stole the show for me. I mean, mm-hmm. Lupita, like, gives the harder performance. Like, she's doing, like, she's playing Mike Myers and Mike Myers' victim at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, clearly, very, very challenging. But he, Winston Duke just stole every scene he was in. It was so good. Cracked me up. Um, yeah, so, I, I really appreciated his performance as well as Lupita Nyong'o's performance yeah. as well. Um, her rendition of the tethered version of her was chilling. Yeah, the, she, she has that phenomenal. very creepy voice. She was, she was absolutely great. Deserved every every bit of praise that she got. Um, but so, so it, it's still very very good. Like go see this movie. It's 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 a blast. It's very good. Don't expect it out. You'll like it more if yeah. you're not expecting it out. And yeah. Have you exactly. have you seen The Mist? I have not. <laughs> um, it's a good like B horror movie. But yeah. one thing that's good about it is the way that they explain the phenomenon is very light. Mm-hmm. But but they do enough to like open it up where yeah. it's just like, oh, there's a military base outside of this town and something happened. Yeah. And then there's like mist that like comes in and then it gets opened up a little more later in the film, but not that much. It's just I can appreciate what's that. nice of it. Yeah, it's like it's enough for like the mystery, and it's good enough for the film, and it, it works because of that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think you and I are on the same page. Yeah, I uh, never thought us. I would want a movie yeah. to explain things less, 
Um, but here we are. Yep, <laughs> I, I concur. Uh, what about you, Crossman? See anything good? Um, I <laughs> <laughs> you're not sure. I always pause at that. Um, the, uh, so I, I saw a <laughs> movie that came out last year, I believe, called Forty Seven Meters Down. Um, oh, why is that sound it's, familiar? It's a shark horror movie. Okay, that stars um, Mandy Moore and a woman named Claire Holt. Sure. And they're pretty much the only characters in the movie. Um, <laughs> these are two tourists in Mexico. Um, they go out on a boat that's captained by Matthew Modine. Um, and they you know, do the shark cage diving thing. And then the cage uh, snaps and they get dragged to the bottom of the ocean. And they need to like figure out how to like get out of the cage. The, the, the cage and then out of the situation that they're in. Sure. Um, it's a pretty <coughs> in, intense movie um, in that their their like air starts to run out, so they have this like um, air factor. But then outside the cage, there's like a shark that's like you know al- always waiting in, in yeah. the darkness. Um, and they do a good job of the, in this movie of like showing the shark, but also like not showing the shark. Um, so there's there's a couple like pretty good jump scares and. Um, like, you know, eventually they have to leave the cage to, like, try and, like, solve their situation. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think it's a fine horror movie for, <laughs> you know, like, a, a few good scares. It's short, which is good. Um, and it, it's just, like, yeah, it's just, like, a fine horror movie. Okay. <laughs> which is surprising. Like, all the elements there are for, like, a really bad movie. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Also a movie that was 100% acted by stunt actors. Uh, like, for sure. How is the shark? Um, it's just like a normal great white. Um, okay. Well, like, was it animatronic? Did they computer do it? Like, I assume a lot of computer animation okay. with like a few shots of like real sharks. Okay. Um, but when they, at times, with some of the jump scares, it's just like, you know, blurry, like, like yeah, yeah. move across the screen, <laughs> which is good. Yeah, that's, that's why part of the reason why the film works. It I worked think. in Jaws. Yeah. And yeah, I think they, a lot of, a surprising amount of the attention comes from the fact that they're running out of air and not so much the shark part. Okay. So it's, it's much, it's a very claustrophobic film. All right. So Sounds like a space movie almost. It, it might as well be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, space sharks. Yeah, <laughs> um, one element that's good about the film and I think works really well is that they so they can talk. They have like these face masks that allow like them the to talk. Something. The movie wouldn't work without it. Yeah, um, but the depth that they're at, like the radios, don't work. But when they eventually figure out how to leave the cage, they swim up like ten meters or so, and they can connect to the surface at that point. So they need to like constantly kind of like ferry between different depths um, but that leaves a lot like to question like you know have they been left in the ocean or you know right like, Cause, okay because they need to radio someone to rescue them right okay got yeah it. yeah exactly yeah. okay that makes sense they need to, okay that makes sense yeah um, I get it solid solid horror movie and what could be a, a really bad film is actually like totally fine okay yeah that's always a nice surprise yeah yeah um, okay, I'm going to break the rules a little bit because uh, I want to talk about a television show rather than a movie. I finally sat down and watched Barry uh, this weekend because, as you likely heard throughout the recording, I'm a little sick. Um, so I did not leave to go to the theater. This is the HBO show. This is the HBO show uh, starring Bill Hader, created by Bill Hader, frequently directed by Bill Hader. 
Um, he is a hitman, a for, he's a Marine, served in Afghanistan for a while. He's a hitman now. He gets a job, he lives in Cleveland, he gets a job in Los Angeles at the, that's like the initiating action, first scene of the movie, from his handler, um, who is played by Stephen Root. <laughs> Always great to see more of him. Um, he accidentally, when he's in LA, accidentally takes a class, an acting class that his target is in and catches the acting buck <laughs> in this class. So the rest of the show is about him trying to step away from the hitman life and become an actor instead. <laughs> so like, it's, a, it's an absurd premise, right? Like it's just this wacky thing, it like doesn't make sense. And it is stunning how quickly the show gets past the absurdity of it and like gets you <laughs> to buy into it. Because I mean, it is Bell Pater, so it's very funny. Yeah. He's probably the best actor that SNL has produced in the last 30 years, <coughs> maybe ever. And he like displays his chops here. But what it it the show really feels like breaking bad in reverse. Because right? okay. you start with this guy who is bad. <laughs> he murders people for a living. You find out eventually you find out about some of the stuff that he did over there, and like that wasn't great either. Um, and he comes back and like tries to both reconcile emotionally with the realization that he's done terrible things and also try to find a way to put that behind him and have his past stop chasing him. And the way the film articulates, not the film, the television show, articulates <laughs> that is to, his arc is not just from badness towards goodness, but from anonymity towards personhood. Because he starts out the show as a, essentially a non-entity. He like doesn't have much of a personality, doesn't have any connections in his life, and gradually grows a personality as he learns how to act, because that is so much of what acting is. Makes connections with other people in his life, many of them outside of the hitman world, and gains something to protect. And learns that as he becomes a more fully realized person and a good person, that that is in itself rewarding and worthwhile and makes his past all the more terrifying and all the more shameful. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a show about realizing who you are, it's about a show, it's about guilt, it's about rec reconciling who you want to be with who you were, um, and it is also hilarious. I don't think I've ever been surprised in so many ways that makes sense since I watched Breaking Bad. Um, it, and it, it, it's really a great show. I'm almost cut up at this point. It's only two seasons and each season is eight episodes, so it's a pretty quick watch. And they pack a lot of content, a lot of character into those 16 episodes. Mm -hmm. Or I guess it's only like 14 now. Um, so yeah, high, high recommend. Very, nice. an absolutely great show. I think I, I, there's nobody that I would not recommend it to. Like it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, so it's currently airing on HBO. Uh, by the time this episode posts, it'll probably be done with the second season. But go, go check it out. Absolutely worth it. Way better than the garbage that was Game of Thrones this season. So <laughs> go, go watch that instead. Um, Charles, it's your pick. What are we watching next? All right. So you're all pretty aware that I like action movies. So yes. you would think that for a podcast like this, I would have those <laughs> covered, right? Yes. But here we are. Uh, I have not seen Lethal Weapon, and I would like to pick that. Okay. It's a deal. Uh, we should give the disclaimer now that, yes, this is a Mel Gibson movie. Mel Gibson's a piece of shit. Uh, he's super racist. He's super anti-Semitic. He beats his wife. Like, I think that that's probably just a, uh, he's a drunk driver. Like, there's just a whole laundry list of things that make Mel Gibson a total shithead. Um, if someone decides to not want to watch Lethal Weapon or engage in a conversation about Lethal Weapon because of that, that would make perfect sense. 
So do not read this as any kind of endorsement of Mel Gibson or anything that he has to say <laughs> or do. He's a complete garbage person and he should never work again. Um, that said, thanks for listening. <laughs> if you like the show, please share it with people. Please post it on social media. Comment, like. It makes a really big difference. We are on iTunes. We are on Google Play. We are on Himalaya. We are on Facebook. Um, we are all personally available pretty, pretty readily. Um, and we'll see you next week for Lethal Weapon.